Thanks, uh, Mary, very much indeed. We're storming through this series of Elisha, and uh, firstly, Elijah. We're on week four. Uh, it's called Rise Up, hashtag time to rise up. And you may remember that uh, Elijah, in the face of the nation that was turning its back on God, Elijah said, enough is enough, and he faced down King Ahab, who was responsible for the nation turning its back on God, and effectively he said, no, no way, our God, the Lord, is the sovereign one, and just to prove it, it's not going to rain for several uh, years. Uh, And then, you know, if you followed the story with us, that God, once Elijah was committed, once Elijah had made a stand, once Elijah was at that point of no return, God took Elijah on a little detour of preparation to the Kerith Ravine, the place of cutting down where God would break Elijah and cut him down to size so that he would learn total dependence, that he would learn to trust the provider rather than trust the provision. And today we're going to see Elijah stand tall for God because he's already gone deep down in God. And if at any moment in today's story you think, wow, how did Elijah do that? The answer is to go back to what he learnt as the river, the stream, dried up out by the Kerith ravine. So we're picking it up in verse uh, 16, and uh, 359, I think, is the page number. If you've got a Bible in your pew, uh, it'd be good, I think, to have that open in front of you as we pick up some of these verses together. So verse 16 of chapter 18, so Obadiah, you met him last week, went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. We pick it up now, verse 17, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel. This is an aside, really, but it's important nevertheless. Be aware always of the power of deception. When you turn your back on God, like Ahab had done so persistently and so consistently, it's easy to believe something that is far from the truth. So when Ahab looks at Elijah, he sees Elijah as the one who's causing all the trouble. It's amazing what you end up believing when you turn your back on God. It's so easy when our back is turned towards God to make all kinds of wrong judgments. We stop, firstly, taking responsibility. So Ahab, the king who's leading a nation that's been in drought for three years because of his own disobedience, he is immediately blaming Elijah. It's a bit like uh, Adam when God says, what's happened to Eve? And and Adam goes, it wasn't me. And, And we've done that ever since. It wasn't me. With paint on my hands all over my face. It wasn't me. Whatever it might be. So easy. And so easy if we turn our back on God to start justifying. We can't see the wrong in ourselves because we build up this picture of justifying. It's Elijah's fault that it hasn't rained for three years. It's Elijah who's got us into this mess. But of course that was far from the truth. The truth, verse 18, was quite different. I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. 
You've abandoned the Lord's commandments and have followed the Baal. Stay hungry for the truth. Stay hungry for the truth because the truth, says Jesus, will set you free. Set you free. It's such an obvious thing, isn't it? But such a hard thing for all of us to learn and work out in our life. So, a bit of a preamble. Here we go. First main theme. We pick it up in verse 19 when we see Elijah's challenge. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's one big table, isn't it, I think? Get a lot of people around that dining room. So gather them all together. It's a bit like one of these massive scenes in, a, in an epic movie, be it Narnia or Troy or something, when they're, they're all massed out on a, on a plane. And gather them all together and let's have a showdown. Let's sort this out once and for all. A duel. And the prophets would, of Baal would ask their God to bring fire down on the altar, the sacrifice of the bull. And Elijah in time would ask the Lord to bring down fire on his altar. And the God that brings down fire is the God that wins. Verse 24 spells out how it's going to work. Verse 24, then you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And for the first time in this story, everyone agrees, what a good idea. Everyone loves a good old-fashioned scrap. Let's get behind the bike sheds and we'll sort this out once and for all. As Mr. Meredith used to say, I'm the ad one round here now in our playground in Cardiff. Easy to think, though, that this is the real challenge. Don't miss what's going on. The Bible always talks here and has something else to say here. Have you noticed that? Always. And don't miss the real challenge. I don't think that the real challenge is between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. The real challenge going on in these verses is not to the prophets, but to the whole people who are gathered around regarding who they will serve. The real challenge comes in verse 21. When Elijah went before the people and he said, how long, verse 21, will you waver between two opinions? So he speaks to everyone that's gathered on the plane. This is the real challenge. How long will you waver between two choices? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. This is the real challenge And it comes to us from these pages in the form of a question, who will you serve? Who will you serve? It was a polytheistic world. The the Baals, or Baal and his Baals, represented many gods. It's plural in uh, some of the verses and singular in others. It was a world of many gods. And so they were invited or challenged by Elijah to make a choice as to who, which God they will serve. And you might at first glance wonder how we can relate to a world of many gods. Or there again, perhaps it's not too difficult to see how we relate to a world where there are many gods. You see, there are gods everywhere today. Money, the gods of money. Money is worshipped 
sacrificed for, served. Many is sought after to give us fulfillment and meaning. If not many, possessions. If not possessions, experiences, adrenaline experiences, sexual experiences, any other type of experiences, image, career, family, success, fame, celebrity, are all gods of our age and people make sacrifices for them and bow at their altars every single day. Do you know what I'm talking about? And sometimes we inadvertently reveal the truth by our language. Have you ever heard someone say, I live for the weekend? I live for the holidays. Work is my life. Or I'd do anything to get that job or live in that house or drive that car or whatever it might be. There are gods everywhere fighting every moment of each day for our allegiance. And Elijah's challenge is as real today as it was on that plane back then. Who will you serve? Two things struck me. The first is that you have to choose. You have to choose. There isn't an option not to choose, not to serve anybody. You either serve the Lord or you serve the Baals. There is an option three now. I'm not going to serve anybody. Because we all serve somebody or something all of the time. Even if it's ourselves. We all serve somebody or something all of the time. And there's this brilliant rhetoric here from Elijah. I mean, he must have been a fantastic preacher. And he shouts and his voice booms across this valley. How long will you waver? And what Elijah goes on to say in this brilliant phrase is, how long will you keep being dishonest with yourselves and kid yourselves that you can follow many gods? For how long will you kid yourselves that you can live in this pick and mix mess that you're in? The people of God still did some stuff connected with God and now loads of stuff connected with Baal and Asher. It was a right mess. And he's challenging a society just like ours. Be honest, because in the end, when it's all said and done, there can be only one ultimate reality. So be honest, he says to them. If you really think that Baal is the ultimate reality, then follow him. Give yourself wholeheartedly to him. Don't mess about. Don't stay with some of the old and some of the new. Go for it. Go for broke and give your life to the bales. If money is your God, he's saying go for it. If you actually think that money is to be worshipped, it is an ultimate reality, then don't sit here any longer. Go and make some more. Don't waste time. Cheat, steal, lie, deceive, grab, do whatever you can to get more, to serve the God of money because that's your ultimate reality. Be honest. With yourself, Elijah is saying. If image is your God, then go for that operation you've often thought about. And sign up for several more while you're there. And spend all your money on clothes that you need. 
If career is your God, then get out. Go back to work now, this morning. Don't worry who you tread on, who you overlook, who you pass by, because if that's your ultimate reality, then give yourself to it wholeheartedly. Do whatever it takes. If Baal is your God, then for goodness sake, says Elijah, put your money where your mouth is. Man up and claim that he's your God and serve him wholeheartedly. It's like what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea. He says, I can't stand this ridiculous dishonesty about wavering, about being neither hot nor cold. God says, I just want to spew you out. It's just ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. You have to make up your mind. The Bible's, from the Bible's perspective, we have to choose. And we deceive ourselves in thinking that we don't have to choose. We deceive ourselves if we don't realize that there can be only one ultimate reality. And the interesting thing is that if you are forced to decide, if you are forced into taking on board that there is one ultimate reality, if Baal is really number one, then I've got to give him everything I've got, I've got to serve him and bow down to him, you suddenly realize the second thing, something that's true about God's. Because if you were to say that about money today, you would know, I'm not going to bow down to money. I'm not going to sell out everything for money. Because when we're forced to choose, we realize how stupid that is. Because when we're forced to choose, we realize the truth that's always true about false gods. And that's that false gods promise what they can never, ever deliver. False, it's a brilliant bit of a rhetoric from Elijah. False gods promise what they can never deliver. Baal promised to be in control of the weather and therefore in control of the agriculture and therefore in control of the economy. But it hadn't rained for three years. The country is on its knees. And now the God, Baal, who controls the sun, was uh, to the prophets, the one who would bring down fire. If any God can bring down fire, then it will be Baal who controls the weather and the sun. But as we will see, that will not happen. Elijah is exposing a universal truth that false gods promise what they cannot deliver. Money promises me security. But you can have all the money in the world and die fearful and alone. As insecure as it can be. Korea promises success and status, but it hardly matters at all if you lose your family and it breaks up your marriage. The God of our image promises identity and meaning, but one day even I won't look as young as I do now. There will always come a day when false gods are exposed and it's not a pretty sight. Verse 26. So they took the bull, verse 26, that was... Um, so Sorry, then they called on the name of the Baal from morning till night. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. 
in the moment of crisis, when crunch time came, you can cry to any false God you like, and there will be no answer. Who will you serve? That's the real challenge. And it's to the people, not those prophets. That's the real challenge here. And what I see next, though, is not just Elijah's challenge, but Elijah's confidence in verse 27. So at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them because there's no response. Shout louder, he says. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Literally, perhaps he's on the loo. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. I mean, how confident is Elijah? He's mega confident in these moments. And he is exposing. He is exposing where we look for confidence and cannot find it. If the question in the face of Elijah's challenge was, who will you serve? The question in the face of Elijah's confidence is, in whom do you trust? In whom do you trust? See what Elijah's saying, work harder, sacrifice more, stay longer, sing louder, then maybe your God would respond. And that's what they did. They thought if only we can do a bit more, then we can get Baal to do what we think he should do. And so we danced all day and we danced all night right up to the time of the sacrifice. Verse 28, they shouted louder. That didn't work. So they started to slash themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. People get very desperate. When the God they are seeking is not turning up in the way that they expected it to. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But again, there was no, no one answered. No one paid attention. There is such a contrast here between the frenetic activity of the prophets of Baal and Elijah's cool, calm swagger. Our frenetic activity is usually a sign that our confidence and our trust is in the wrong place. I'll make this happen. I'll make this happen even if it kills me. That's what they were saying. I'll make this happen even if we have to dance this dance all night long. I will make this happen even if it's the last thing I do. Where are you trying too hard? Where are you trying too hard? It reveals where your confidence is resting this morning. Elijah is so reminiscent of Jesus. You know, when Jesus' mate Lazarus died, and Jesus kind of, kind of shrugs his shoulders and goes, oh well, all in good time. It's my paraphrase. And he hangs about four more days. The people around Lazarus and the tomb, they're getting frantic and phonetic and trying to sort it all out, can't understand what's going on. They're getting anxious and really, you know. And so that when Jesus does eventually come four days late, the women come running out to meet him. And Jesus just goes, well, whatever. Where is he? Where is he? Why? Because Jesus knew in whom he had his trust. Amen. Jesus knew where the trust was. And it makes a word, Elijah knew where the trust was. And so he can say to those guys, look, work a bit harder. Uh, Elijah's hope is that they will realize the futility. But it can never be about how hard they dance or how many times they slash themselves or whatever ridiculous things we all end up doing. 
in an attempt to twist what's going on because our trust is in the wrong place. Elijah's challenge, Elijah's confidence, and finally Elijah's cry. Verse 37. When it was all said and done, when he, the prophets of Baal were uh, absolutely exhausted and lying on the ground, utterly defeated, just to add insult to injury, he gets a shed load of water and pours it over. Pours it over 12, was it three buckets four times or four buckets three times? Um, 12 to symbolize that God is going to break through the failure of the 12 tribes of Israel. Symbolism everywhere in these verses. And then he prays, answer me, Lord. Why? So that I can look good? That's what John was talking about. We all know what John was talking about earlier on this morning. I'm going, answer me, Lord, so I don't look a right wally here. Or something a little stronger. What's he crying? Lord, Lord, answer me. That they will know that you are God. Answer me that you might turn their hearts back to you. He's crying that they might have a revelation from God that would lead them to being revived in God. And the final question that lifts out of this story and faces me and us square on, whose hearts do you cry for? That they might have a revelation of God and that their hearts might be turned, revived, turned back to him. Ahab was about himself. The people were in drought and he went looking off somewhere to try and find food and water for his horses. In contrast, Elijah carries the heart of the people in his heart. Break my heart, we sing sometimes, don't we? For what breaks your heart, O God? And God, it seems to me, always answers prayers that are consumed with his mission to reach, to restore, and rescue those that are lost. And remember, this is no armchair prayer. Remember where Elijah is. He's in the thick of the battle. He's not praying at a distance. Uh, John had no idea the the relevance of what he was saying earlier on. When when he's talking about, you know, we say, well, pray, pray, put a hand on someone's shoulder. Get in the middle of it. That's exactly what Elijah's doing here. He's right in the middle of the action. God's honor is at stake. Elijah's honor is at stake. The the future of the nation is at stake. The stakes couldn't be higher. And in that midst, he's crying, God, whatever you do, I'm not interested that you rescue me from this situation. But what I am interested in is that you reveal yourself to these people and that they get revived and restored and their hearts turn back to you. Whose hearts? Do you cry for? Who are you crying out to God for? And where might he be asking you to stand? Or place a hand on a shoulder? Or set up our equivalent of a duel? What's God asking you to do? To answer the cry of your heart for the people that fill it. And then finally, verse 38. And then it's kind of so matter of fact, isn't it? Don't you love the Bible? Oh, and then the fire of the Lord fell. Well, whatever. Maybe. So we go, yeah! 
yes. The fire fell. Yes. They've been waiting for 38 verses for this. The fire fell. Can you imagine Elijah going, yes. Can you? I mean, honestly, he didn't go, oh, I am the fire fell. You know? I mean, man, was he human? Or yes, the fire the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and, and everything. Do you know what? Something greater than the fire has fallen. He came himself. He came himself to reveal who he is in Jesus. And he came and he revealed who he was, a love that would stop at nothing to win us back. He revealed the true fire that would consume an altar, a cross, an ugly, forgotten place outside a city. That there on that cross, he would say to the world, I am the Lord. And there is only one response when all the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, he is God. And all we can do is bow down. And in that moment, if you don't know who you're going to serve, you'll never know. You'll never know. Let's pray.